Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Matthew chapter 27. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 57 through 66. And if you're able, we'd invite you to stand with us out of uh, courtesy to the reading of the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57, When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which had, he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. The next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting the watch. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for the privilege to stand here tonight to proclaim your word. We know that we're inadequate within ourselves to do so, but Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will just come, enlighten our eyes, Lord, help us to see spiritual reality, open our ears that we may hear from you, and Lord, open our mind that we may understand what you're saying to us from your word and communicate it properly to your people. Father, we pray that you'll be glorified and you'll be magnified. We pray, Father, if there's one that is listening tonight, whether here or at home or wherever they might be, that are lost. I pray that this would be that wonderful time that you would touch their heart and just draw them to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May you be glorified. May you be magnified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Jesus had died on the cross. He died at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's now about six o'clock, getting close to six o'clock. It says there in verse 57, when the even was come. The Jewish Sabbath day would start at six o'clock that evening. Their day runs different than ours. It runs from sunset to sunset. They didn't like for the bodies of people who had been crucified to stay on the cross on the Sabbath day. We see Jesus still hanging there. But there's a man that shows up. A man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. We don't know a whole lot about him, but still the Scripture tells us some things about him. Mark tells us that he was an honorable counselor. That means he was a member of the Sanhedrin court. 
Luke tells us that he was a good and just man. Mark again tells us that he waited for the kingdom of God. Here in this chapter tonight that we're reading from, it says that he was a rich man. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 51, Luke tells us that he did not vote for Jesus to be put to death. In John 19 and verse 38, it talks about he was a a disciple, but secretly because he feared his fellow Jews. Now this is the man that comes to see that Jesus gets a decent burial. You see, the Roman people didn't care if they were buried or not. Most of the time they'd just leave them hanging there on the cross if they didn't have family to come and take them down. Because that was a deterrent to crying. No one, first of all, wanted to die on the cross. And second of all, they didn't want their body to be left out there on display to decay and be given to the animals or whatever. But here, Joseph of Arimathea shows up. The Bible tells us some other things about that. It says that he was also himself was a disciple of Jesus. But yet he was a secret disciple. And we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But look what it says about in verse 58. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Now the Bible tells us over in, in uh, Mark that he boldly came to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Why would it take boldness? Well, Pilate was pretty perturbed by all of this that he'd had to go through about Jesus. He couldn't find anything to, to condemn him over, but yet he ordered him put to death. No doubt he's not the most popular man in town at this time. And here comes Joseph of Arimathea requesting that the body be given to him. Now one of the passages of Scripture tells us that, that Pilate was uh, disturbed because he didn't think he had died yet. And he sent someone to check on it to see if he was really dead. Because sometimes those people would hang on the cross for two, three days before they would die. But Jesus died after about six hours on the cross. As we studied the last time that we, we studied on this, He gave up the ghost. He released His Spirit. He determined when He would die. That's something that you and I... Uh, can't hardly do unless we're going to commit suicide. But here, he requested the body of Jesus. There was something about his timidity, something that, that uh, he had been a, a uh, disciple of Jesus, but secretly, suddenly, he gains courage. Suddenly, he takes a bold step forward. Certain, certain, suddenly, he, he comes and asked the most powerful man in the whole country there 
to allow him to take the body of Jesus off the cross. What had happened in his life? I think that reality had really set in. I remember back when I first got saved. I told the people at the church where, where I got saved that night. And I went home and I told my mother that I got saved. But I went into work the next morning and I wanted to tell my co-workers that I had gotten saved. But by that time the devil had kind of wiggled his way back in. He began to whisper in my ear and say, just, just keep quiet, you don't need to tell them. And you know, I went about two weeks not telling anybody else that, that the Lord Jesus Christ had come to live in my life. Two weeks after I got saved on a Monday morning, Merle Kyle, who was the butcher in that grocery store, he came into work and he had a smile on his face that you couldn't wipe off. And he walked in and says, let me tell you what happened to me last night. I got saved. And the people was kind of happy about that, you know. And I said, well, it happened to me a couple of weeks ago. You see, that gave me some courage. But the devil will keep you as a secret disciple if he possibly can. He don't want people going out and telling other people about Jesus Christ. The devil will battle you harder about talking about Jesus than any other thing. He don't mind so much if you live a good, clean, moral life. He don't mind so much if you uh, occasionally talk to someone about Jesus or if you pray or, or any of those things as long as you don't go and tell other people that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and He can be their Lord and Savior. You see, He don't want people hearing about Jesus. And so many times we, we fall in His trap. He requested the body of Jesus but that's not all that he did. Look at verse 59. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Joseph was doing everything that he could do for the body of Jesus. Now the Bible tells us in another place that Nicodemus that man who had come to Jesus by night over there in John chapter 3. That man who had come and said, we know that you've come from God for no man can do these works that you do except God be with him. That man whom Jesus said to him, you must be born again. That man who was a godly Pharisee, here he is showing up down there with Joseph of Arimathea. And the Bible says that, that Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds of myrrh and alloys, spices to anoint the body of Jesus. And, and, and as they wrapped him in that linen cloth, they put those, those ointments on his body. The way of embalming, that's kind of the way they did it in those days. And Dennis knows a lot about embalming. But Nicodemus shows up. He's kind of come out of the shadows too. I don't think he voted for Jesus to be put to death either. 
here he is, stepping up with his, his co-worker, that friend that serves with him on the Sanhedrin court, that tax collector, Nicodemus, helping to bury the body of Jesus. But notice what else in verse 60. And he laid it in his own new tomb. Joseph had a new tomb. Now I want you to notice something. Read the rest of that verse. Which he had hewn out in the rock. That's pretty personal. He had gone down there. I know where that tomb is. I've been there, been in it. It's just right down the hill from where Mount Calvary is. It's a garden down there. It, it, it has had a vineyard in it. The wine press is still there where they would put the grapes in there and squeeze the juice out of them. And it, that garden there, it fits all of the description that the Bible gives about where the tomb of Jesus is. I know there's another one supposedly in another part of town, but nothing about it fits the biblical description, but this one does. And the Bible says that Joseph had hewn this rock out. I don't know how long it had taken him. I don't know if he paid someone to do it or if he did it personally, but he was making his own tomb there. It had been hewn out of a a solid rock. I remember going down there on my first trip and our, our tour guide was a Jewish woman. Her name was Hasi. And when we got to that garden, she turned us over to a different tour guide. Well, I thought, well, that, you know, that's just a common thing for them to do. And we toured that place and went in the tomb and Stayed around there for a while, and it was one of the highlights of our trip. And that night at the hotel, we were sitting in the lobby of the hotel discussing where we'd been and all those things. And I said, Hossie, I noticed you didn't go down there with us to the tomb. I said, won't they allow you to be our tour guide down there? She said, oh, no, it's not that at all. I said, well, what is it? She said, I can't stand to go down there. She was a Jewish woman. She didn't believe that Jesus arose from the dead. It bothered her to go where that tomb was at and to find it empty. But he buries this body in his own tomb. He laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Now, he sealed that tomb. There is a groove cut in the rock that that stone, like a big millstone, you probably saw some of those, and that, that groove, it kind of goes downhill till it gets right in front of the opening and then it levels off 
And then you go across to the other side of that door and it goes back up the other way. So that when that rock, that big stone is rolled down in there, that it gets in a V shape and the square bottom down there, that it's, it's pretty well set there. It takes several men. You remember when the ladies came to the tomb that morning, they were wondering who will roll the stone away. It's not an easy job. It would take several men to be able to, to manipulate and move that big heavy stone and get it back up that groove to where somebody could enter that tomb. So it was sealed. But I want you to notice a couple of other people that shows up out there. You know, I've done a lot of funerals down through the years. And there's usually, if you have the funeral at a church or in the funeral home chapel, uh, you usually have a pretty decent crowd. But usually the ones that go to the cemetery, it's just the family and the closest friends, pallbearers and people like that. I remember having a, a funeral in Sweetwater a few years ago of a man that I had gone to school with. As a matter of fact, I was working in the hospital there and happened to go in his room and I didn't recognize him. I hadn't saw him in years. But when we introduced ourselves, I said, well, we went to school together. And he said, yes, we did. And I talked to him that day and about his salvation and he wasn't saved. And I shared with him how he could be saved and we prayed. And he never did tell me that he, was, that he got saved. But I was eating lunch that day and I heard a code blue come over the PA system and it called his room number. And I knew something had happened. And as soon as I got finished eating, I, I made my way to that room and the bed was empty and they'd uh, paraphernalia all over the floor where they'd tried to revive him. But I got a call from that family the next day asking if I would do his funeral. And I said, yes, I will. And his brother said, well, I went by to see him not long before he died. And he said, he told me that Clayton Dunsmore had come in that morning and prayed with him and that he had accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I said, wow, he didn't tell me that. But I'm so glad to hear it. And it was just a graveside service. There were three family members there, myself and two undertakers. I think that's probably the smallest amount of people that I've ever had at a, at a funeral of any kind. But I shared with those other two family members what that brother had shared with me that he had accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And I tell you, that, that took a load off of me, took a burden off of me. Because it's not easy to do funerals to begin with. And especially somebody that you don't have any hope that you're going to see them again. But here, 
the closest of friends goes out there. Verse 61, and there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. They have gone out there to that tomb. Perhaps they stood there and watched as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus down off of that cross. You remember they were there at the cross. They were there when he died. Perhaps they followed them. Perhaps they observed his body being prepared and his body being laid in that tomb. They observed that big stone being rolled down across that door. But here they are, Mary Magdalene and the mother, the Mary of James and Jose, the mother of Zebedee's children. I'm reading the wrong verse, but there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. They had gone there. Mary Magdalene was so grateful. Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. She was one of his closest followers. She'll be the first one back at the tomb on resurrection morning. She loved him with all of her heart. She was a follower of his. She was grateful for what he had done in her life. And this other Mary, I think she's probably a relative. She too comes there. They're loyal. They're affectionate toward Jesus. Did you notice none of the men were there? All of his disciples fled except for John. John did stand there at the cross for a while, but then he took Mary, his mother, to his home. But there's a third group here. Now the next day, the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate. Here's this group of people that they didn't believe who Jesus was. They didn't believe that he was the Son of God. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They believed he was an imposter. And they cooked all, up all kinds of stories and lies about him. And their story had changed every time that there was a new, new trial. Jesus went through about six different trials. And nobody found him guilty of anything, of breaking any laws. But here, these unbelievers and these, these worldly religionists, they have a twofold problem. And notice what it is. They said in verse 63, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Well, they'd heard something Jesus said, didn't they? But they still didn't believe it. 
They had a twofold problem. First problem was that claim that Jesus had made that after three days I will rise again. And the second problem was the message of the, risen, of the risen Messiah. After three days, I will rise again. That was his message. They finally accomplished part of their plan. They got him killed. Now he's in a tomb. And they're concerned, is he going to rise from the dead? They make a request in verse 64. Command, they're talking to Pilate. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day. Now, that's a request. Secure the tomb. They wanted it sealed. They wanted it to be guarded. They didn't want anyone being able to go there. They wanted to stop everything that could possibly allow Jesus to resurrect from the dead. But they didn't know what they were dealing with. They didn't know that they were dealing with the power of God. They didn't know that they were dealing with God's eternal plan. That nothing would stop God from doing what He would do with His Son. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day. Now listen to their lie here. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. They concocted that story. And one of the, one of the gospel writers said that people are still telling that to this day. I've had people to tell me that, that I've personally witnessed to. Oh, they stole his body. I doubt it. They were all hiding. They run for their lives. There wasn't a one of them brave enough to go down there and try to steal that body. But this is the lie that they made up, the religious bunch. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. Now notice, so the last error shall be worse than the first. There's an admission there. Did you catch it? The last error shall be worse than the first. They realize they've made an error. That they pushed this through. They, they realized all the lies they had told. They realized all the made-up stories. That it was all just a sham. That there was no real truth in it. But yet they'd shoved that through. And now... They're afraid they're going to get caught. They're afraid that Jesus is going to show up. 
the last error shall be worse than the first. Now notice Pilate. Pilate kind of understands this because he'd been a part of it too. Instead of having a backbone, and he had the authority to release Jesus, but he didn't. Pilate said unto them, you have a watch. In other words, I'm going to put soldiers down there to guard that tomb. Go your way, make it as sure as you can. Go on down there, do the best that you can do to seal that tomb. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch or setting the, the guards out there. I read this afternoon, there's probably a couple of ways that they could seal that stone. One, they could have put some concrete around it and made it where it would have been pretty well immovable. But one writer said that more than likely there was a special kind of rope that they would take and put around the edge of a stone like that that was sealing a tomb. And it, 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 it pretty well stuck in place. And if the, if the stone was moved, that it would not only hinder it from being, from being moved, but it would make it a telltale sign that someone had tried to move the stone. They sealed that tomb. They thanked that they've accomplished their purposes. They're just hoping that on the third day, his body will still be there. And let me share this with you. There were some ladies. Because the Sabbath was coming on, they couldn't go and anoint the body of Jesus. And they're going to go down there early Sunday morning, as we would call it. Their Sabbath is Saturday. They were going to anoint the body of Jesus. You see, they didn't believe he'd rise either. Mary Magdalene shows up there. Well, I don't want to get too far ahead because that's in the next lesson we're going to have. But you know, his resurrection, it takes faith to believe that. The Bible says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a key point in our salvation. Do we believe that Jesus arose from the dead? A dead man can't help you. He can't save you. But one who has conquered death, can save you. And we believe it in our heart. I had heard that all of my life. But I was about 19 years old when I really believed it and asked Jesus to come to live in my heart and in my life. And you know what he did? He came in. The risen Savior. 
We sing a song, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Is he alive in your heart, that risen Savior? The one that overcame death, hell, and the grave wants to be your Lord and your Savior. Tonight we're going to close right here. Brother Ron's going to be coming with a hymn of invitation. And during this invitation time, God may be speaking to someone's heart here in this building or somewhere out, wherever this voice is going out to. Would you just humbly bow before the Lord, asking Him to forgive you of your sins and asking Him to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. Believe in your heart that Jesus is risen from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. The Bible tells us you'll be saved. It's simple, but yet it's profound. Jesus saves Jesus saves. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for that empty tomb. I thank you for those who tried to make sure that it was so sealed that Jesus couldn't get out. God, I thank you for that you demonstrated your power and that Jesus is alive forevermore. And I thank you that, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there may be someone tonight that, Jesus, you're wanting to be resurrected in their life. You want to come to live in someone's life tonight. Give them the courage to call upon your name, asking you to be their Lord and Savior, and believing in their heart that you will do exactly what you said you'll do. And Lord, may you be glorified. May you be magnified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.